We, uh, we are starting this week a brand new series that is called uh, Imposters. It's going to be a four-week series, and the whole premise of this series is that we're going to take a look at false teaching that is starting to invade different churches that we want to be cautious to avoid. Because right now, uh, if, you, and if you think about what an imposter is, an imposter is someone who looks like the real thing, who acts like the real thing, but in actuality is a fake. It's a fraud. It's not at all the real thing. And I want you to know there are, uh, there are churches all around us. There are movements going on that feel like the real thing. Sometimes they sound like the real thing, but they are far from what God intended the gospel, the truth of the gospel to be. All right? But sometimes it's hard to tell at first. So that's why we're doing this series. It's kind of like counterfeit money. Uh, did you know, by the way, that right now there is 147, estimated $147 million in fake money, U.S. currency, being circulated around the globe? Like, counterfeit money is a real thing, and that's because it looks really close to the real thing. So I wanted to give, I don't know if we have any uh, money experts here, but I want to give you a little test. You put the two $10 bills up on the screen. One of these is real. One of these is a fraud, all right? Anybody really good at currency? I'm going to take a guess. It's hard, isn't it? The bottom one, I don't know if you said it, the bottom one is a, is a fraud. And it's crazy because the only way you could possibly know it's a fraud is if you know all the details of the real thing. And even now I can see you guys are going, well, it says this on the front of the... Yeah, I have no idea. I would, if I was a store clerk or whatever, I would have taken it and been like, cool, you're good. So counterfeit money is, is kind of... Now, when it comes to false teaching in the take it down so people stop looking... Um, <laughs> <laughs> they were really I've never seen anybody look so intently on the screen before we put scripture up there all the time alright when it comes to false teaching though I think the most important thing to know is if you're going to recognize that it's false you must first know the truth of what it is so that you recognize it's false that's why we've done this whole summer, this We Believe series, because we wanted to unpack the essentials of the doctrine we believe based on God's Word. And now, on the heels of that, we're talking about things that aren't real, because, and here's why, because there are churches, there are movements out there that sound a lot like the real thing, that feel a lot like the real thing, but they are very far from it. And so we need to talk about it. Scripture, actually, uh, the, the, verse, the verses that I want to read that kind of are really the theme for this whole thing is 2 Timothy 2, 3 and 4. It says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. All right? Paul said it was coming, and I had to tell you, it has been coming for a long time, and it is certainly here right now, even in our country and in our world. And so what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we're going to pick four fairly popular false gospels 
that are being circulated and taught around our country, and we're going to talk about why they're false, line them up with God's word, right? and then we're, gonna, we're actually going to talk about why the truth has the power to change our lives today. All right, so that's where we're going to go at this today. We're going to start with a false gospel that is very, very popular, maybe the most popular in our country and even around the world, and it is known as the prosperity gospel. Prosperity gospel, if you've ever heard of the name it and claim it gospel or the blab it and grab it gospel or whatever, um, the health and wealth gospel, if you've ever heard of that, that's what we're talking about today. So there's three questions I want to answer. First, what is the prosperity gospel? Second, why is it false? And then number three, how does the truth change us? So I want to talk about what it is, right? And I'm not going to tell you why it's false yet. I'm just going to tell you what it is, then why it's false in line with God's word, and then how the truth of God's word can actually change us. All right, so here we go. First of all, what is the prosperity gospel? The prosperity gospel kind of operates on this premise that if you worship and serve God, he will make you prosper materially and physically. That's the way this thing works. Let me put something on the screen that hopefully can help you. The prosperity gospel is actually more interested in how God can make your earthly life easier than in how God can transform your heart for all of eternity. Right? That's, that's just my words. It's the best way that I can kind of show you the differences. So what I want to do is give you three marks of the prosperity gospel, right? Three kind of things. They're not, this is not exhaustive, but these are big ones. First, Christians give in order to get, right? Now, everything in this section is all false gospel. So I feel like anybody could take a little YouTube clip of me right now and any of the things I'm going to say and really do some damage. Everything I'm saying, I do not believe, okay? First, Christians give in order to get. All right, Mark 10, 29 through 30 says this. Jesus said, this is what Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. What prosperity preachers will do with that is they will say see this is how it works you give to god something and you will directly get back a hundredfold from what he what you have given to him and they take that so very literally to the point where there's a lady um, named uh, gloria copeland gloria copeland is kenneth copeland's uh, wife he is a fairly well-known prosperity preacher by the way, we're going to talk, there's a few big ones that I'll just mention real quick right off the bat. Uh, Joel Osteen, Paula White, uh, Kenneth Copeland, and Gloria Copeland. There's others. But the reason I say that isn't to throw people under the bus, but it's because these people are so very popular and their books are under the umbrella of Christian and evangelical. But hopefully after today, you, you realize they shouldn't be for, for many, many reasons. So anyway... Uh, Gloria Copeland wrote a book called God's Will is Prosperity, right? God's Will is Prosperity. This is what she says about Mark 10, which is what I just read. She says, give $10 and receive $1,000. 
Give $1,000 and receive $100,000. In short, Mark 10 is a very good deal. Right? And I got to tell you this, like, I, if I believed that, I think every one of us would sign up to, to cough up $1,000 right now, right? To get $100,000 back. But that's, that's the kind of stuff that's coming out. All right, next one is faith leads to material prosperity. Faith leads to material prosperity. So what they're saying in the prosperity gospel oftentimes is it is your faith that will give you what you want and make you prosper, that you have that power in and of yourself. If you want a better lifestyle, if you want more money, if you want your dream home, if you want to be healed, you just have to have enough faith. And of course, the other way around works too is they will communicate, listen, if, if you don't have any of those things and you want them, it's your problem. You don't have the faith. And it's in your power to have enough faith to get those things. Joel Osteen uh, writes about this quite a bit in his books, which he makes millions and millions of dollars on. This is what he said in uh, one of his books. If you do your part, God will do his. He will promote you. He will give you increase. That's what Joel Osteen says. And he goes on to say a lot more things like that. Joel doesn't have um, any kind of Bible degree, period. Um, and it shows. The second one is this. God spoke worlds into creation. He didn't Google it to see if it was possible. We, too, can achieve anything we set our sights on. Right? It's, a, it's a big leap. Right? So it's faith that gives us prosperity. Next one, last one. Prayer is a tool to gain prosperity. Prayer is a tool to gain prosperity. So James 4.2 says this, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. All right, prosperity preachers will just say it's very simple. Look at James 4.2. says the reason you don't have the things you want is because you just haven't asked. Right? Uh, there is another prosperity preacher that I found as I was kind of doing research. His name is Creflo Dollar, which <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. I did. All right. So this is what he said. He said, when we pray, by the way, I, I want to be careful too. These people are created by God and they need Jesus. Uh, and so I want to do this with respect. Um, but when we pray, he says, believing that we have already received what we are praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. It is a key to getting results as a Christian. Right? It, what he's saying is that, you know, when we pray, if we have enough faith, that it kind of forces God's hand, that he has to do whatever we ask to do. All right, so those are three marks of the prosperity gospel. There are more marks of prosperity gospel and it comes in different ways shapes and forms but those are ones i wanted to focus on and the reason i wanted to tell you what it is and kind of who are the big players in it is because we really need to be careful as a pastor it's part of my role to say hey you've got to know the truth so you can spot these things so that you don't you're not led astray because these people are making millions and millions of dollars off of this stuff all right second question though is why is it false so let's take a look let's take a look at the real gospel in comparison to the prosperity gospel 
All right, first is, uh, you just need to take a look at the life of Jesus. And every time there is a, a false gospel or one you're not sure of, look at Jesus. Look at his life and everything that he stood for, and it will help you figure out. Every, the, the birth of Jesus in a stable, we talk about at Christmas, the most humble, humble birth that you could ever have. His life, which wasn't flashy at all, and his death was all to give up his life, not to gain more and more prosperity. He was our king, and yet he did not gloat. He did not boast. He did not want to gain any kind of material anything, but he laid it all down on our behalf. And, you know, when we look at how we're supposed to live, we always talk about it. It's like we look at Jesus, and he modeled the way we're supposed to live. You look at Jesus, there, nothing that he did was, uh, was to, to be for his own material gain. It was all laying down his life, putting aside his desires for us. And then we have to operate the same way. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Right? When it, when, what happens with prosperity preachers, and I, I read this earlier that they will take that verse and say see actually jesus died he became poor so that you could become materially rich jesus wants you to be rich because he died so that you could be rich so that you could have anything that you want but the truth of the matter is that every time what, what paul is talking about in second corinthians every time jesus talked about what was most important when he talked about rich and poor he was not talking financial he was talking spiritual and this is really important to know it it's as if jesus operates with a completely different currency than we operate on so i was thinking about this you know i got a chance in my um high school years and my college years specifically and even into some of my ministry to go on a lot of mission trips so on these mission trips one of the things i did is collect different currencies from other countries and so i had quite a collection of different coins and stuff that that were from different countries and it was cool you know i had a jar of it and i would show my kids and everything but you know they would be like well how much is that worth and i'd be like well well nothing here it's not worth it i can't go to the store and use it here at all because we operate in a different currency and i want you to know the kingdom that jesus came to build operates in a completely different currency than the one we use financially his was not about a financial prosperity his was all about a spiritual prosperity and so i want to just go back and you know re-explain that quickly the gospel that god created us for not prosperity not riches for a relationship with him that was what he created us for. And we messed that up, so Jesus came to redeem us back into that relationship with God. That means if you place your faith in Jesus, here's what you get. You get God forever. And, and that's like doesn't seem flashy enough for people, but it's exactly what we need. And I want to explain it kind of even more. What 
Jesus has done for us is he's forgiven us from our sins. He has taken away the guilt and the shame that so many of us carry from our past. He's given us a peace that surpasses all understanding. He gives us joy in the middle of even hard seasons. He's given us a new identity in Christ, not based on what we have or our job status or our marital status, but on who, what Jesus has done for us. He gives us purpose in this life, and he gives us hope for the next life. All of those things money cannot buy, right? They are eternal. And that's why, just because that's why it bugs me so much that people would focus on the, the wealth, on the material stuff, because I don't think Jesus ever did. Prosperity gospel treats, um, it, it treats prosperity as the end goal. The true gospel treats God as the end goal. Right? And that's what we always, whether we admit it today or whether it's flashier, that's what we need. That's what we want. All right. Um, we keep going. That, let, me, let me say a little caveat, though, and that's that money, uh, money and provision is not a bad thing. So I think that I, I want to be careful. Like God's provided for us. And we're in a church right now where I would say primarily there are people who, who are pretty well taken care of in this area. And so we have, we have a lot. We have, earned, we have the ability to earn money. We have decent houses, some nicer than others. But we have the ability to, to have a lot right now. And that's an okay thing. And we should, but we should be grateful for what we have and everything that we have should point back to how good God is because he gave it all to us. Right? That's, why, that's why we give because prosperity preachers will really convince you to give that all you got to do, you need a job? You need promoted? Have you given to the church lately? Right? That's not why we give. We, we give because we believe everything given to us is from God. And so we give a portion of that back to him to tell him, I belong to you. My money's yours. My house is yours. Everything belongs to you. And by the way, it also helps to build the kingdom in this church and around the world when we give as well. That's why we do those things. Um, the other thing that I, I guess we'll, we'll point out, oh, J John Piper said this. Prosperity is elevating gifts above the giver. It's elevating gifts above the giver. There's nothing wrong with gifts. There's nothing wrong with having a lot, but it should all go back to thank gratitude to the giver because he is our ultimate reward. The other thing I would say is that um, we don't have to look very far to realize that wealth doesn't actually make you happy. Having all the things that you've ever wanted and the house you've wanted and all of those things, it doesn't make you happy. I forgot to say this. Uh, Joel Osteen has a church called Lakewood down in Texas. One of their electives in the evening, the name of the class is Own Your Dream Home. It's one of the classes. Okay, so when I talk about this stuff, it's, it's very real. Um, so, well, but, and, and by the way, prosperity gospel preachers would be onto something if wealth and health were the things that would be like make us whole would make us happy would fill the the hole in our inside of our hearts because of our sin if wealth did it 
then yeah, go for it. But actually, it's not the way it works. Jesus said something so different. You know, you ever notice when you look at Jesus, he says the opposite of just about everything the world says. He said the first should be last, the last should be first. He said if you want to save your life, you got to lose it. He said if, you know, the, the way to strength is actually to admit that you're weak. He would always say the very opposite. The, the reason why um, these health and wealth churches are gigantic is because they're saying something, they're selling something everybody wants. Health and wealth. Who wouldn't want that? It's not what Jesus sold. As a matter of fact, what Jesus told us is much less flashy. He said, if you want to follow me, look at this, Luke 9, 23, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And if you want to follow me, if you want to live the life that I want to give you, it's going to take sacrifice. You're going to have to deny some things that you have. You might have to give up things for me, but it's going to be exactly what you want. It's going to be the best life. Paula White, I mentioned earlier about she's down in Florida as a prosperity preacher. She actually is quoted in saying, anyone who tells you to deny yourself is from Satan. So that's, I don't have to say anything more. All right. <laughs> Next, I want to talk about this, though. You know when it says you pray, uh, you pray to, as a tool to gain prosperity. You pray as a tool to gain prosperity. Um, what the prosperity preachers say is in, in verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Um, many prosperity preachers don't actually talk about that verse. What they do is they talk about the verse before that that says the reason you don't have anything is because you didn't ask. But then this verse says, actually, the reason you don't receive is because you've asked wrongly to spend it on your, past, on your passions. So it's not a bad thing to pray for things that you need. And, and hear me, please hear me clearly. If you're sick, if someone around you is sick, we need to pray for healing, and God can and will heal. He can, right? He doesn't, the ultimate healing is healing the heart to be reconciled forever to eternity because nobody lives forever. But he can heal. We should pray. And we should pray for our provision. We should pray for the things we need. Don't get me wrong, but what this is saying is some, in the prosperity gospel is like, actually pray for everything that you want and pray because whatever you want, God will give you. But sometimes we pray with selfish motives to spend it on our passions and everything that I believe God wants for us is to bring him glory. It's for his purposes, not for ours. And that kind of leads me to uh, the last thing I want to say in this section, which is I want to draw a little um, thing just to, to show you. And I get it if you're on the side, you may not be able to see this, but this is like a, a little, this is kind of a little uh, tip on how to spot, spot false teaching, how to spot imposters. And it's like, this is, this is what I did with Caitlin this week because what we try to do each week is we, we try to communicate similar truths back into kids' ministry that we're teaching here. So trying to make this understandable for kids is a little challenging. So I said, I just drew this on Caitlin's whiteboard and I said, listen, this is, this is, this is it. This is how you spot a false teaching. False teaching puts me at the center. The true gospel puts God at the center. That's, that's the best way I can say it. So what false teaching does is you get to do and live however you want to live and 
make Scripture explain why it's okay. So you kind of do what you want and kind of bring God in to be like, God, you approve, right? Yes, at least my pastor says you approve. Uh, And that's how it works. But the true gospel is that God is in the center. It's, it's, it's God-centered. It's what He wants for us. The truth is that we don't get to decide how we want to live. God does get to decide. And so we actually put Him at the center and we submit to His ways. That's one of the ways you can tell if something is a false gospel. And you'll see that throughout the next few weeks as well. All right. Uh, that's, the pres- that, that's why it's false. Let me move to the last question, and that's this. How does the truth change us? Now, I want to be careful because these sermons are not going to just be about talking about why something's false. And I don't want to be here just to sit here and, you know, bash different people because I believe there's something for us to take away today from this. And um, I want to start with a confession And the confession uh, is this, that even though I don't believe in the prosperity gospel, as you can see, uh, I live like it sometimes. I live like it sometimes. And uh, I think we all do at times. And let me explain what I mean by asking a question that was super convicting to me and hopefully is just challenging to us today. And the question is simply this, do you love God for what he can give you Or do you love God for who he is? Do you love God for what he can give you or what you have right now? Or do you love God simply because he is God and he's all that you need? And I think the only way to really truly answer that question honestly is if we have something very precious to us that we believe God brought to us that is taken away. That's when the rubber meets the road and we really have to answer that question. Nowhere is this more clear than the story of Job. And uh, if you've been around Scripture, you probably know the story of Job. So I'm going to recap the story. Job, back in his day, was the richest man alive. He was the Elon Musk of the day. Uh, He was really wealthy. He had a whole bunch of land. He had a whole bunch of animals, because that's kind of how you determined who was wealthy, just by the amount of animals and livestock that you had. He had a great big family, and get this, Job was a guy who feared God. He was walked blameless and upright before God. He loved God. So the way the story goes is that Satan comes to God one day. And I'm paraphrasing this, but this is what happens. Satan comes to God and he says, Hey God, uh, Job loves you and walks with you because you have made him rich. Take all of it away, and he will want nothing to do with you. And God looked back at Satan and said, you want to bet? And what happened is he actually allowed Satan, if you know the story, to, uh, to take things away from Job except for Job's life. And what happened is, it, is Job had this ridiculously horrible season where he lost just about everything but his faith in God. 
And all throughout it, he maintained this faith. And he would say things like this in Job 1.21. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He said, Listen, I, uh, I didn't come into this earth with anything. I won't leave with anything. The only thing I have is God. And then later on, he says this in Job 19, in the middle of a horrific season, he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And when my skin has been destroyed, I know that in my flesh, I shall see God. Amazing that in the midst of, he lost just about everything, and yet he knew God was all that he needed. I want to ask a question. This is one I've been wrestling with. Because I think it's hard. Do you love God for God? Do you just love Him for who He is? Because here's what I was thinking about this week as I was studying this. He loves you for you. And that's a lot harder. He loves me for me. And that's a lot harder. Like, but think about this. He doesn't love us for what He can get from us because He can't get anything from us that He doesn't already have but yet he's always and only wanted us, a relationship with us, because that's how he was created. Would we love him the same way back? Not for the things that he gives us, but we'll be thankful for those. But for just the fact that in the end, all we will have is him, and that will be enough. Now listen, I'm gonna close with this challenge and that, that we would be the kind of church that would actually speak like the psalmist says in Psalm 73. This is what the psalmist says in Psalm 23. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Father, you are uh, so good to us, and we admit that we came to this world with nothing we'll leave with nothing but we will leave with everything if we know jesus because we will be with you and lord i admit that sometimes uh the pleasures and the things of this world somehow look better than that but they they aren't because these things fade and these things don't last it's only you that lasts. And so, God, I pray that we would be the kind of church that would seek you for you, that we'd love you for you. And after